Olivier, welcome to the show. Um, and pronounce your last name one more time. Ozu. Ozu. Where are you from? Uh, it's French. It's uh, French. It's actually not a very sort of uh, common French name. Ozu. Uh, so. Yeah, well, it's, I've, I've created the podcast because I felt like as artists, staying focused, less distracted, you know, focusing on our crafts, whatever it could be. It could be painting, you know, drumming, whatever. I just, I think, and I've, I've dealt with this myself. It's, it's just challenging because, you know, your free time is, is, um, so valuable now. And I think we really, there's so many distractions and so many things that can pull us away from getting better at guitar or piano or whatever that I've felt like, um, I wanted to talk about it with other artists, musicians, and DJs, yoga teachers, whomever, just sort of in my world, because I think it's something that we all deal with. And I, I, I think it's naive to think that you shouldn't be using Instagram or Facebook to promote your stuff or even to connect with some people that may live in France and here you are in LA. I think for that reason, it's it's they're really valuable, but they have this sort of, the way they've been created, they have this manipulative sort mm. of energy behind them where if you're not careful you could be just spending an hour or two basically staring at some pretty meaningless information so um i i met you actually a long time ago i think at hot eight yoga in santa monica when i used to go there and take bianca on saturday mornings all the time but i noticed um you know we connected again at sweat maybe six seven eight months ago uh, maybe a year ago but i noticed you had sort of this artistic energy about you and then I went on to Instagram after we became Instagram friends and I saw that you post lots of videos and and like gear um so clearly you know what how would you describe sort of your artistic pursuits right now what are, what are you um, really inspired by That's an interesting question um I consider myself a I guess a non-working artist I've sort of never really pursued uh, art as a means to sort of sustain myself financially uh I was I guess lucky enough to uh stumble onto uh computer graphics and visual effects fairly early in my career and both and in basically the evolution of of those mediums so I've always worked in either animation or gaming or uh, visual effects sort of either for TV or or film um, so to me the sort of and it, it's a fairly artistic sort of Definitely. medium to start with although I've sort of um, I've gone back and from back and forth from being very sort of artist focused uh, doing character design and, uh, and character rigging and, and technical animation like that to actually lately I was actually sort of, sort of past two jobs I had in in visual effects I was director of technology at uh, studios which sort of very sort of engineering focus right uh, development focus uh, part of my career um, and I think as I gradually became more and more technical in my day job I allowed myself what was craving um, become or being more artistic in my sort of uh, off time okay. and pursuing uh, sort of either drawing or painting or music. It sort of shifts or gradually sort of transforms itself. So more recently, my Instagram, as you see, is is fairly sort of music and music video focused because that's what I'm doing next. If you roll back into, like, I don't know if you were sort of curious and went back and sort of through the Instagram time machine, 
maybe two years ago, it was much more sort of painting and drawing based, uh, sort of sketching yeah. and things like that, and sort of posting pictures of that. Um, wow. So you, what's interesting to me, something that I, until recently, I finally have sort of let go of, I used to just think that an artist should be just like a musician or mm-hmm. just a singer or just a DJ. And I felt that way for years. Um, and I, I don't particularly, I have a few reasons why, but I, I, I've, it wasn't until recently when I started DJing about four years ago that I, I suddenly realized, wait, I don't have to just be a, a musician or a singer. I could also write a book. Mm-hmm. I could also be a DJ. It feels, so it feels like with you, you've, you sort of just whatever's inspiring you at the moment in your life, you, you go towards as, as an artist? I mean, how did you know you were a painter or was it something that it... Um, I've always drawn uh, so from a very early age. So it's um, sort of education point of view. So I, um, I never did sort of any kind of sort of technical stuff uh, in school. I was very sort of um, uh, art focused and things like that. And, and then kind of stumble onto, as I said, stumble onto this sort of job in, in computer graphics, mainly because it was early enough that uh, if you knew what a computer was and basically could find the on switch on a computer and you could hold a pencil, you had a job in computer graphics. That was sort of 20, 20, 30 plus right. years ago. Um, so that basically sort of allowed me to sort of move it into that. Um, so I never really stopped being an artist, but at the same time, if I want to do this full time, I need to basically make money at it, <laughs> right? Uh, which is a struggle. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's sort of part of why you kind of say, well, if I want to make money at this, I better pick one thing that I'm slightly better at right. than the other ones and focus on that. But I think if you're if you're creative in general, I think you're capable of being creative in, in many fields. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the being good at something is just a sort of product of how many hours you put in right Uh, well that's why i sort of talk about instagram and social media because you know it does require a lot of time to get good at something Mm -hmm. and so that's why that free time you know an hour or two a day doesn't seem like a big deal but i do think back in the 50s 60s 70s 80s you know you're in your free time if you loved guitar that's like all you did now Gosh, there's Netflix shows and people are talking about it. And I just, I feel like the world wants you to just basically stare at your phone and stare at Netflix and watch television shows instead of, you know, get better at your craft. So I, I think um, it's just something that I've really thought a lot about. And I'm wondering if those virtuosos like the Eddie Van Halens and, um, you know, Liberace, uh, I just saw Green Book, the, that piano mm. player. I for, all of a sudden forget his name. But anyway, I just I, I wonder if those types of people are really going to slowly sort of fade away because all that time and energy it takes to get better at your craft, it's just it's not as prevalent as it used to be. I think it's a discipline thing. Uh, I think you have, and you, you, you sort of said it yourself, they're, they're, those tools, those social media tools, are essentially designed to make mindless consumption basically to stay keep you basically on their platform as long as possible you have to sort of remember that basically the primary goal of these things is to basically be a conduit from advertiser to you right Uh, so you have basically sort of a lot of people watching instagram uh, for a very long time yeah is what makes the platform healthy from their point of view from your point of view it might be a sort of different thing um 
So as an as an artist, I think we have an advantage, I feel, over other people on social media that basically it is very natural to use those as an outlet, hmm. uh, either uh, so for promotional sure. purposes or yeah. even just basically just say, hey, I exist. I mean, so that you don't even have to be basically saying, hey, I'm using this so I can get more people to buy my art or do a thing. Like just a simple fact of, I mean, it sort of harkens back to, I guess, cavemen spray painting their yeah. hands on, on the wall of the their cave to say, hey, I'm an artist, I exist. Right now you can sort of take that, you take a picture of your spray painted hand and you publish it and right. it exists. Yeah, right? so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it's an act of uh, an act of publishing. It's basically a very low barrier to entry to, to, to publishing. So I, I think as an artist, basically, you do have an advantage because you, uh, first of all, you can create something and then you show it. So what you show is something that you've made as opposed to just like, oh, I, I was just walking around and I sat down at a cafe and I ordered my avocado toast and I took a picture of the right. avocado toast and I posted it and I said, hashtag avocado host. Um, yeah, and then people, you know, give is, you the dopamine okay, good. and you feel but, good I mean, about if you, it. If you're, for example, the cook that actually made the avocado toast, I mean, there, there is basically an investment saying that this is my avocado toast. Yeah. I made this uh, and this is why I'm posting it. Um, so, so the, I think the the, uh, the the rules are different, or basically what you get out of it, or what you sort of personally. Uh, the trap is because you're you can't just publish on the platform without consuming. Right before I left, it, I was sort of taking a break from doing that, and obviously I was on my phone, and basically when I zoned out, and I realized I was yeah. like, oh, like uh, half an hour disappeared. I didn't do re anything really useful. So right now, what are you using Instagram for? I mean, I, I've seen more musical gear um, type related. Yeah, so it's, it's still the sort of same tool for me. I, I use it to publish either basically sort of when I finished a, a video, which is sort of a more complex sort of time frame. I sort of post about it. I, I also basically sort of every now and then sort of post some kind of working prize. Like, hey, I just sort of... Uh, um, got a new synth or basically I'm working on this piece and that's a little sort of excerpt uh, and things like that um, it's um, yeah so that's the main thing and before when I was sort of painting or sketching more it was just like oh look I, I just sort of spent half an hour that, that sort of same <laughs> right. mythical half an hour I spent half an hour doing a sort of a quick sketch in my sketchbook I'll take a picture at the end of it and post it just like hey this is like sort of um, closes the chapter on, on that particular piece well, I, I want to play, I just, we're checking out your YouTube channel during the interview and I'm going to just play something really fast because I'm, you've got to check out your, your YouTube channel, not you, Olivier, but the <laughs> okay, people that are, the, no, the people that are listening need to check this out. Um, so this is a track from, from your YouTube channel and, and try to explain what's going on here. Um, yeah, so let me talk about the sort of process a little bit. So the, I stumble, I guess I stumble, or basically my natural tendency was to basically gravitate towards this idea of, of playing live and performing. So all of my videos are basically usually, actually no, they're all one take recordings of basically a piece that I've sort of pre-composed, I have some patterns, something like that, but then I sort of 
play them, launch patterns, and sort of modify things. I usually keep one instrument that I would play myself. Um, so, and the idea basically that I can then set a camera and record the process, and there's something to watch. This idea that sort of like maybe this sort of intimate concert from my living room um, that people get to hopefully enjoy. And then because there's a visual aspect to, to the music, I actually sort of, and also I wanted to, um, out of respect to my sort of significant other and because we're sort of sharing sharing this as I didn't want basically my sort of studio to expand um, to the larger thing. So I've built this little sort of self-contained studio space, which is, um, it's actually sort of a, I'm holding myself to a cubic meter. So the studio itself is basically a meter wide by a meter tall by a meter deep and only the instruments that can fit in that space are allowed, quote unquote. Uh, and it's pretty much full at this point. Um, so if I want to get new gear, I'm trying to hold myself to basically get rid of gear if I want to bring something else new. Uh, but I also built it because it, I wanted it to look good. Uh, I wanted to basically be able to shoot the studio and basically have some interesting visual and be colorful and being sort of interesting to, to look at, uh, which is why basically sort of quote unquote my my YouTube brand is this sort of idea of having sort of studio or instruments on grass, um, synthetic music for synthetic grass. This is amazing. Thank you. No, I'm being serious. <laughs> you should I, I, you should also release this on Spotify or iTunes. I think people would buy it instead of just I think it works on its own also mm -hmm. even without the visuals. It's on the it's on my to-do list. Actually Lena has been asking me to sort of put it on Spotify so that I can she can sort of steal a few tracks for yeah. her flows. I think a lot of that music is kind of sort of sweat yoga appropriate. Definitely. about the gear the gear that you have is ridiculous you have so much and so much cool stuff where where do you get it how do you know um, what you're looking for I mean do you just test the stuff out but where, where are you getting all this um, stuff from I get a, a lot of sort of inspiration is other synth youtubers or people I interact with on, on, on the, we were talking about discord earlier uh, sort of my main sort of interaction with other musician is through this these uh, Discord channel and, and obviously uh, an easy subject of discussion is your gear and, so, so, and people like to talk about their gear they like to talk about the gear they have they like to talk about the gear they wish they had uh, they like to talk about the gear they had but had to sell or various other things and that's how I sort of discover a bunch of things um, I tend to be attracted by the sort of less mainstream thing. I think the collection of synthesizers I have, first of all, they, they all have to be small. Again, basically sure. that idea that sort of, I have a limited amount of space, a very sort of Japanese way of looking at things, like, okay, everything is, needs to fit in that one table. 
Um, so if I want to have a lot of gear, then the gear has to be small. But I kind of like small. The, um, the other inspiration I had was this idea that um, I wanted to have a desktop that would emulate in real life what a computer desktop would be like. If you're in a DAW, you basically have everything at your fingertip. Fingertip. You have everything at your fingertips. Um, and so I wanted to have this idea that basically I can, so from where I'm standing, this is a stand-up desk, from where I'm standing, I can touch every single sort of dial and buttons and things of the entire setup, yeah. uh, which again is sort of conducive to that sort of, um, to me, it's conducive to creativity and, and performance. Uh, so in order to achieve that, then yeah, all these things are, are smaller, um, they tend to be eclectic, there's a mix of sort of digital hardware and analog hardware, um, and use, yeah, I mean, I don't know sort of what else to talk about. They all have sort of blinking lights and, and dials well, and things you can touch. Um, I'm telling you right now, there is a market for this type of music. I think clearly you have a lot of subscribers on YouTube. You would have even more people interested listening to this stuff because it's amazing. Thank you. I'll probably have to learn how to master correctly. <laughs> well, maybe you need to... I know a great mastering guy if, if you... Because if I don't want... Basically, my point is, is don't let any of those voices in your head get in the way of you releasing this stuff beyond YouTube. Because any way more people could hear this, I think it's worth doing. And you could even perform this live you could have like you could do this in really cool intimate settings i think people would pay you very well just like you're a one-man band so one thing i've realized that i tend to i haven't sort of done it on purpose but i did develop a sound i mean it's really i think if you listen to two, two or three pieces um i do have a sound which is something i'm proud of it. I really like it. I like this idea that basically it's it's a blessing and a curse because sort of everything I touch tend to end up that's what I was telling you earlier this week. Every, yeah. everything I touch or I try to do tends to end up like sounding like this sort of chill down tempoing thing because it is me yeah uh, but at the same time it's sort of a, I like this idea that as, a, as an artist you, you develop a, a voice uh, it's the same thing when you're sort of a painter or drawing things like that you sort of like, uh, and having a voice allows you to steal from other artists, uh, not with impunity, but sort of it's it's easier to steal from other people because that's you have to absorb it and it comes out as yours, uh, which is very different from copying. I think if you don't have a voice as an artist, when you copy thing, you're just copying things. Yeah. Uh, if you have well, a strong voice, like you you can say, hey, why don't you do a painting like so and so? You can go, okay, and put it side by side with your thing, and naturally, you're it's going to look like your painting. Yeah. Um, Is this a different one now? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I think it's that fine line of borrowing. I mean, we're all I, I you know I I'm heavily influenced by Radiohead and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, but I can't sing like Chris Cornell. So I sort of interpret my, right. I find my own way. So there's nothing wrong with you having songs that sound similar. That's just sort of, people know what they're going to get when they see your name as an artist, and that's fine. And maybe you'll want to change it up a little bit. But there's also that, that like Tom Petty 
knew that he didn't have a huge vocal range, but he got really good at that sort of limited range. Yes. So you're really good doing this. And that's something that a lot of people could never say. like listening to your you know to your stuff back I mean um actually I, I actually listen to my stuff on a regular basis not sort of going to um there are periods where I go oh I've sort of just listened to old things I've made um I try not to be over I think one of the advantages I have because I sort of told myself I'm going to record things by performing them live is that you capture this moment in time mm-hmm. and this is the product uh, which I think allows me I mean there's a finite amount of retakes I can do I, like, there's actually one track and I'll, I'll show you where I think I I had to do 34 takes to get okay. it right uh, mainly because I'm a terrible p- keyboard player and there was a specific sort of melody that was I decided foolishly to play live uh, and I basically I would stumble and sort of point that or actually I had a great take at some point and my wife called and <laughs> then I had to stop and answer right. the phone of course. Uh, so like, and, then, and then basically like to get back to that there's probably like five more terrible takes and then get back into a groove and like that so the, the idea that basically you're playing this live allows me to basically say you know what this was a good one yeah done uh, as opposed to again it's like I, I do the same thing when I realized the same thing when I was sort of um, uh, drawing and painting I basically I decided to sort of really concentrate on doing watercolors and sketching and sort of doing that again on pen and paper because when it's done it's done there's no undo there's no oh I wish this was different or oh, I wish I'd moved that nose over right. here or these eyes where basically digitally you have the option to do it and I think it's a very dangerous thing creatively where you basically you never finish anything because you can always change them. This idea that you can commit to something yes. and say, you know what, it is done because it will never be done. Done. Yeah, um, that's one of my biggest so, so hurdles. If you for have sure. to, and, and I think that trick basically that I did for, for that is allow me to say, okay, well that's a good take, and you know what, it's already two a.m. It's a good take. It's we'll good move enough. on to basically publish it and there's a really good talk from um jack conte who's the ceo of patreon okay and he's a musician uh and he basically said like one thing that changes optic is focus on publishing rather than finishing hmm. which is this idea that basically you tell us you know it needs to come out and yeah. yes you could have done it better but you could do the next one better hmm. like this idea that basically like you're, you're not as a creative, the, your role on this planet is not to make the one perfect piece. 
uh, I think it's much better to, for you to do a lot of very good pieces or average pieces. I mean, they're going to get better and better. That's the other thing. Is basically, you don't realize it, but if you do a lot of things, generally the level, overall level of everything goes up because you do it more often. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to, like, if you were, like, you could spend basically an entire year working on that one piece of music. And yeah, it will get better, but at the end of the year, you will have one piece of music. Uh, where you could have had 10 or 20 or 500. Um. I really like that giant reverb on that piece. Awesome. Well, Olivier, I am so inspired and blown away. Let me ask you, though, do you ever, I mean, how did you know to be so um, objective or I mean, did you ever think that like you wanted to pursue these creative pursuits, you know, professionally and, and make money doing them? Or, or did you, I mean, I don't know, it, it feels like you're really talented and it's, it's something mm-hmm. that. I mean, making money doing these things is beyond talent. It's about luck and timing right. and people, you know, there's just so many elements involved, at least in my opinion. I don't, did, but did you ever want to just, were you ever curious about following that in any sort of way? Um, or did you or did you know better? <laughs> no, I don't think I knew better. Um, I, I think, I mean, just sort of going back to, to my sort of main career as uh, in animation and visual effects, uh, that's basically the path that I took. And I think once you take the first step, you open yourself up to basically be able to take other steps and have other doors. Okay, you know someone, maybe they remember you because you did something else. They say, hey, I just thought about this next project and I think you might be good on it. That's how sort of generally sort of musician or session musician or artists, things like that, basically grow their sphere of influence is because they do something and then... Um, it gets noticed. And if, basically, if you don't stumble on that path, generally the snowball gets bigger and bigger. And right. That. I mean, so yeah. it's, you do have to sort of backfill it with sort of creativity because you, you can't go stale. But I think sort of um, that's what being an artist is, right? Um, so and that kind of process was already happening to me in visual effects and in animation. And those are, they're different beasts because they, it takes so many people to make these kinds of products. They're still creative, right. but I think your creative contribution is less obvious when you look at the final product. Hmm. Uh, I mean, for example, a, a movie I worked on, I actually moved to Australia for that one, is uh, Happy Feet. Um, I mean, so that's yeah, I know uh, that. And that was um, George Miller, George Miller, who did the Mad Max series and, right. and, and various other products. That was his very first uh, animated feature. Uh, and he's Australian, so he picked a, or uh, I don't know sort of the, the full backstory, but the Animal Logic, which is the company in Australia that did the movie, um, worked on that. And I basically, uh, I went at fairly early in the process and I spent four years working on that wow. uh, project. Uh, and that was very interesting because, yeah, it's like probably four to 500 people touched the movie uh, in terms of basically artistic contribution. Everybody's input counts uh, and adds something to to the overall whole so um, yeah and that's a very different dynamic from basically sort of you're talking about a band or say okay we're 
four or five people contributing something or a solo artist, which is just you're the sort of uh, king of that particular domain. You make right. all the decisions. Right. Um, so I felt that removed probably a lot of pressure from me to uh, be a solo artist or, or use basically sort of different skill. Yeah. Like I could sort of keep it in that sort of um, enlightened hobbyist level. What do you think about Instagram and social media? I mean, we sort of have skirted around it, but you know that I I, mm-hmm. I blog about it, I write about it, I talk about it, I'm writing a book about it. Right. I just, I think, um, I think there's hugely negative effects happening. Mm-hmm. Um, people, I don't think, know how to think for themselves. I just posted something on Tumblr, and we can start there, but I don't think people know how to disagree anymore. And mm-hmm. I think it's because Facebook and Instagram only allow you to like something. You don't have the ability to do anything else other than be a troll, right. which is really not a healthy way to, to argue. So it's created this sort of dichotomy now where people don't know how to communicate. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, just give me your opinion about that. But just what's, what, what do you think about social media and, and um, the effect it's having? One thing I think you have to sort of yeah, I think you have to be mindful about sure. social media. I think you have to realize that in itself, it's a communication tool uh, which can allow great things and can allow pretty evil things. The great things you talked about say, hey, you could basically find um, like-minded people from around the world and say, oh, I've just discovered uh, sort of this person who's now a friend I basically entirely through social media and we don't, we've never seen each other. We live at two other ends of the planet we might have two completely different sort of social situation yeah. or economic situation like that so so social media um as a thing allows that yeah i think as it's uh, but at the out. same time it can also be misused i think one thing that you have to be mindful of especially with the non-real-time social media because I want to talk about Discord and, and chat thing because those are very interesting because they're the same yet very different mm-hmm. uh, is you get sucked into this idea that you're having a conversation but you're not having a conversation because there's this time delay hmm. which allows emotions to flare up and you to sort of do that so I think it amplifies miscommunication very quickly the comment section i think sort of there's two different things in social media one is basically the 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 purpose of the post uh and i love instagram for that basically this idea that basically when it started it was this sort of very sort of um artist friendly photocentric uh media centric sort of way to express yourself you put a hashtag and then the addition of that sort of comment section where you talk about it um changes its purpose Uh, and actually sort of most of the time i consume specifically on instagram i just consume the images themselves the way i treat instagram personally is because it's a asymmetrical uh social media process you follow people you don't you don't declare a friendship basically like 
I can follow you and you don't know me and you can follow me and I don't know you, right? So yeah. As opposed to Facebook, which was based on the idea that we're friends. So we know each other and we acknowledge that we know each other in front of the world. So it's a bi-directional connection, right? You cannot be my friend without right. you being my friend in yes. return. Where on Instagram, this idea that basically you're following people means that it has that sort of asymmetrical quality, which worked very well, again, for a creative, you can say. And I've curated my Instagram feed, uh, more or less, because I purposely only follow creatives Yeah. on Instagram. And if people tell me, hey, I'm your cousin, but I say, I'll be your friend on Facebook. Right. I do not care unless you basically have a creative output on Instagram. I'm not going to follow you because you're going to pollute my feed with pictures of avocado toast that right. you've purchased as opposed to made. Um, and the great majority of the people on, on my Instagram accounts are people that basically um, create art or uh, painters or uh, sort of they draw, they make music, sure. they sort of do things. So um, especially in my interaction with Instagram allows me to say, you know, what? It's, it's both a time sick, but it's also very inspirational. I can go through that and go, oh, wow, this, this guy just made another painting so, of X. That's really sort of powerful. So you do um, get inspired through Instagram yeah. because of that. Yeah. Um, but I think the only way to do that is to be very careful um, who you fall. You did bring up an interesting point, though, which it has affected the way communication happens. Mm -hmm. The texting... You don't see the person's face. You're um, not seeing hand gestures or, or body language. I mean, all these things like really matter. And all you see is, and I get fucked up by this sometimes mm -hmm. where I'll text something, I don't get a response right away, or I, I misread it or I take it the wrong way. And, right. and that happens, I think, a lot. And I do think it does create... Um, anxiety or agitation because that's because if you're only communicating that way mm -hmm. via text or dms or instant messaging and i, I don't know I, I i i think it's carried over into mm -hmm. our day-to-day -day lives of just people i don't think really know it shifted the the way people communicate i think yeah so you have this discussion on let's say on a sort of common like i post something and we start talking about it in, in on instagram the issue with that is like it could get heated at some point and I've done my piece and now I basically I was just sort of typing it hastily before I sort of went to yoga and I basically I'm off for an hour and I've cooled down and I've right. basically sweated and I'm all in a sort of much happier face and I come back and you didn't do that you just basically <laughs> pummeled me with sort of three yeah. more poses that are even more aggro and I come back and I read it and I go ah yes right so even though basically time has elapsed and we had time to cool down you don't really cool down because you pick up exactly where you were uh, and that's very different from so another social platform that i actually sort of fairly active into is i i'm part of a number of uh discord groups discord is a sort of real-time chat platform that started mostly for gamers but there's now a uh, again, a bunch of sort of creative activities. I'm mostly on uh, music, musicians group okay. uh, and where we talk about synthesizers and music and things like that. So the dynamic is very different there because even though um, same thing, you don't know each other, there's perfect that people can drop in and drop out because the feed is real time. 
Either you're having a discussion in real time, in which case, basically, if you're being an ass, I can type, hey, you're being an ass. Right. Or I don't understand what you meant. You can have that sort of quasi-verbal interaction because you're talking and someone's responding. If they take too long, um, you're off. And, and, and also, basically, if you go away for an hour, the feed has moved on. Right. There's no threads. There's no thing to come back. So if I say, hey, and plus you say, hey, I got to go. I'm going to go to yoga. And the person says, okay, fine. Right. Uh, and that closes that chapter, right? So that's a very different sort of interaction. To me, I feel it's a, um, it's a healthier mode of conversation. It feels like it, yeah. So what's the, what, why, why are you into synthesizers? What's that all about? Um, I mean, did you start playing music? I mean, I'll, I'll ask a question before you answer that one. Did yeah. you start playing music as a kid or something? Or Yeah, I started playing music as a, well, as a teenager. Okay. Uh, and actually, so I have a brother. There's only two of us in our family. My brother is younger, and he was the child prodigy, quote-unquote. So he's the one that got the piano lesson. And I was okay. sort of older. I was like, basically, he was like, we have five-year difference, which is huge when you're a kid, mm. right? Because like, yeah, he, he was five. Yeah. He was five getting piano lessons, and I was 10 going, this music thing is kind of silly. I'm going to go outside and yeah. <laughs> play with my friends or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, And then things got flipped. Uh, at around sort of 15, 17, where basically I got into music, uh, mostly from that sort of uh, social interaction with friends and creatives and, and things like that. I say, like, okay, yeah. I'm going to be in a band, and I'm going to do this. Uh, and then I kept that. Uh, I actually sort of did that from basically between the age of 17 and 23 something. Actually, that was correspondence when the period of my life I moved from where I grew up to sort of traveling around Europe and working and, and and doing a bunch of different things. So that music took a big back um, back burner at that point because it's inconvenient. Uh, yeah. You can't carry synthesizers and instruments. Right. And but that's, that. so, so that's when you were getting So that's where basically I started sort of doing more sketching, like sort of traveling and sketchbooks go very well together. Okay. Traveling and guitars. And synths. <laughs> not so much. Yeah. Um, that's the other good thing about being a DJ. I don't have to lug synthesizers right. around anymore. You just bring a laptop and that's about it. So. Um, yeah. So when I, I sort of returned to music maybe five years ago. Uh, and that's when I sort of heavily went into hardware synthesizer. I wanted to have yeah, basically that's right. that thing. And that. also there's that, um, the, the collection aspect of it, sort of, the sort of thing, like researching things and buying things and you receive them and they're, they're objects. Uh, it's yeah. very different from saying, hey, I just sort of um, bought this new plugin bought for my plug-in. DAW, <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, which is insubstantial. It doesn't sort of, I don't think it has the same satisfaction. I mean, you see like we're... This idea, I think it's a Nord, right? Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it's full of blinking lights and it has all the things. No, and it I has agree. an object, and then you press on those things, and yes. they react. Right. Uh, and if you're good at it, they react in a sort of way that makes interesting music. Yes. So I, I, yeah. When I got back into music, I wanted to basically make music, but also have discover basically these instruments. And that choice would probably be different if I was sort of trying to make a living making music or if the sort of creative output uh, mattered more because uh, I, I do think basically sort of it's it's a lot cleaner and you have a lot more control right. uh, when you're 100% in the box but the flip side of that is it's more enjoyable when you're physically touching things and and, and because to me it was a way to basically sort of be creative and relax and, and not and, and also because I, I work 
on a computer all day. The right. last thing I wanted to do is basically say, okay, my shift is finished. I'm going to oh, go yeah. home. I'm going to reopen exactly the same laptop right. and type on the same keys and, and do very similar thing. To me, that's like I wanted to have that dissociation of like, okay, during the day I'm doing this. Right. At night I do something different. Um, How did you end up in, in the United States? Um, for visual effects. I mean, L.A. is okay. where is, is Hollywood home. is. And yeah. is the home. And that's where I end up. I've been here for 20-some years, I think that. Okay. Uh, with that little break where I went to Australia and back. Um, Do you like it out here? I really like it out here. I okay. mean, it's hard, to, it's hard to not like it. And specifically... Um, I've always lived on the west side, sort of Santa Monica, Venice, and that area. And I think there's something um, magical about that part of Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of, I mean, the weather is always sort of... Foggy. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Mostly fantastic. Uh, it's less hot than, than here. Um, <laughs> I used to live in Santa Monica for years. And uh, it, although I... So, you know what? I used, to, so I used to say, basically, yeah, it's always overcast and shit and things like that. And then I started playing beach volleyball. Uh, and it completely changed my sort of point of view on being overcast because now like sort of I like, get up in the morning and it's overcast and it's sort of Saturday or Sunday morning and go, yeah. great, we're not going to burn right, right away. And then you're out in the beach and things like that. And you actually enjoy that basically the fact that basically you're in that little sort of zone where it's yeah. uh, the marine layer zone. Yes. Sort of overcast for like sort of up until two o'clock and by two o'clock you're done playing you're, and then you, you can do go have lunch and it's sunny. Right. Uh, so, but it, it totally changed my point. I remember um, really sort of being annoyed by this whole like, how come I live on 12th Street? So I lived on 14th. Like, yeah. oh, it's always overcast here. And I call my friends, they're on 18th Street. And they say, what do you mean? It's sunny as hell. It's beautiful. And I go, yeah. oh. <laughs> That's funny. I was 14th and Broadway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just close by. So I live uh, 12th Street uh, between Broadway and Colorado. Okay, wow, yeah. And I've had this place for maybe 10, 10 years. Yeah, so. that's cool. Um, I mean, was it a big deal coming to L.A.? Or was it, like, did you, leaving your friends and all that stuff? Um, or you just, was it just sort of you knew that you had to do that if you wanted to get to the next level of... Yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't a big deal. At that time, I was already a, um, a traveler. Uh, so I left... Um, so I'll go back to the sort of the, the prior question, which is like usually, so I, I tell this story when people ask me, um, so where are you from? And instead of just saying, oh, I'm blah, blah, I have this really long story. Because um, I was born in Montreal and I grew up in Montreal. Uh, but when people ask me, what are you, where are you from? I say I'm French because both my parents are French. And when they went to Montreal, in their mind it was temporary, and they brought me up like a good little French kid. Okay. And the sort of dynamics of being in Montreal, which is the French-speaking right. part of Canada, is there's a lot of friction between the French Canadians and the French, which they call basically the French from France. Right. Uh, so as a kid, I was reminded daily that I was not a proper French-Canadian kid, and I was basically a, a French-French kid. So basically, I sort of burned into my sort of psyche to say, okay, I'm French. Uh, and I grew up as being French and thing. And my, my parents would send me to sort of see the grandparents in the south of France or spend most of my summers there sort of growing up. Yeah. Um, so anyway, basically, when it came to being, uh, when I was 18, uh, I had an Italian girlfriend at the time, and she said, you know what? I'm going to go back home to Italy. Uh, she was in a similar situation to me, or basically she grew up in Montreal, but was Italian. I grew up in, 
in Montreal in French. And I said, oh, I've got nothing better to do. I'll come with you to Italy. Um, and so I lived in Italy for five years. And then that's where I sort of started this whole sort of computer graphics things. And I'm from Italy. I went to London for two years. From London, I went to Germany for two or three years. And then uh the order doesn't matter things yeah. like that. and at some point basically i sort of got this opportunity as i was sort of my career was getting sort of more and more involved into sort of animation so to go to the united states i said okay why not i mean i uh sort of you're asking my question if you're leaving friends behind yeah some but sort of I, i'd already done that and shedded friends long right uh, for a number of times so um they're just sort of yeah you get new friends you get new experience <laughs> sure um and i was already used to this sort of concept of being um permanently a, a foreigner in, in in a different land yeah uh, which is uh, just something i actually enjoy i sort of like, um i actually like not being from here why do you love practicing yoga and you only really go to hot yoga studios right um No, I actually so I first went to for a very long time I went mostly to uh Excel. Uh when oh. Excel had the the Center for Sacred Movement uh on Main Street, which I think is one of the sort of uh West Coast meccas of, mm -hmm. of yoga. I mean they're such great teacher and I didn't know at the time basically how amazing these teachers were. Uh, but when I started yoga that's where most of my practice were and then sort of like kind of followed i can't remember there was a teacher i really liked that went to hot eight and i said okay well i'll try hot eight and then basically discovered other sort of studios and, and one of the things i liked about hot yoga uh, specifically for men is that because we tend to be uh more rigid <laughs> less yeah. flexible yeah um being in a hot yoga environment allows you to sort of have your muscles and your tendon get warm faster and you can get into these poses that 20 year old uh, yeah. <laughs> women can get to in any situation but sure. I need I need no, the I, to, to get there so. yeah I mean um, I don't think I would ever get to any of those <laughs> positions anyway but the heat for me yeah where I I like a room somewhere between like 80 and 85 mm -hmm. I know a lot of these hot studios it gets to like 95 which yeah I, yeah I don't specifically like it too hot yeah uh, I like either yeah sort of heated studios or even just sort of playing regular yoga studios where the sort of there's not a lot of sort of uh, air conditioning or anything so it gets hot you put a yeah. bunch of bodies into a small room it gets hot yeah I, that's yeah exactly um, I, i think to me that sweating is an integral part of, of yoga There, there's something cleansing about sweat yeah uh, and why do you like going to sweat The, um, the place there's actually a place in santa monica called yes. sweat in case you don't um, live in la For two reasons. One is really close to where I live. Okay, yeah. Um, there, there, there you is can a, skateboard there. I, I see can skateboard you, there. I see you bringing um, your skateboard. And that's one of the reasons. But the primary reason, I think I went to Sweat because uh, Lena was uh, going there. Okay. And, and I followed Lena. Yeah, and there's certain people that I like taking classes with. Uh, I think the personality of the teacher and the way they articulate the flows uh, and the way they talk about what they're doing is extremely important to me yeah what do you respond to like um, as, a, for, uh, as a teacher what do you look for 
I like variations. I do not like routines. So one of the things I like about um, there's a certain style of yoga, of yoga in in uh, on the West Coast that's very fluid. Uh, mm-hmm. That even though it seems to hit the very similar beats all the time, manages to be unique and different every time you go there. Yeah, um, kind of like techno music. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> where basically, like, you know, like techno is interesting, and I love this sort of techno and sort of house music for that, which is this idea that, at a macro level, if you look at it basically sort of from far away, it sounds like it's always the same thing. If you pay attention, you notice that basically things are constantly changing. Yeah. Um, and that's the style of yoga that I like. Basically, this idea that you're not going to say, oh, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do three sun salutation A and then four sun salutation B uh, and then get into this pose and that pose. And then if you go back the next day, they're going to do that thing again. Right. Um, so I like this idea that even though there's basically a crescendo and basically a, a drop into something sure. else and come back to think of yoga yeah. as a very musical yeah, event, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is a succession of things and it, it flows into a whole and you're you're surprised. Um, or you can also anticipate things. I mean, I, I like this idea that basically, especially with the teachers I know well, and go, well, there's a reasonable chances that after this pose, we're going to go into that pose. So I'll go ahead. And sometimes I get it wrong. <laughs> oh, so you even think that way in so, class. Interesting. Yeah. And specifically, what I don't like about certain um, yoga teachers is if they don't tell what's going on and if they break down the motion too much without telling you what the end pose or the end goal is going to be, I get frustrated because I'm going, okay, like you're telling me like now bend you like this way and move your arm over here. And it's like, Mm -hmm. just tell me that we're going to get into that warrior two pose because if I already know it, I will go there. And I'll use that time to hold that pose instead of basically sort of trying to guess what we're what doing. We're do. um, so you really are thinking a lot in this class. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I just... I, uh, I better get... thinking than daydreaming about something else. I mean, like when I'm in yoga, I'm not thinking about other things. I yeah. try not to. You're, you're just wanting to know where we're going to go next. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I just I found it interesting or was curious why you, you know, connect with sweat of all the yoga because Santa Monica and Venice seem to me to be the um, yoga capitals in the country. But, you know, obviously you like Lena, uh, you like probably, you know, like you like the heat factor. I'm sure you like the loud music being a musician. That's the other thing I I I respond to teachers that know when to play certain songs it drives me crazy when teachers play the same music over and over again or they're playing like a song that just should not be during a flow or during shavasana so i don't know your ears are probably as a musician you're probably yeah no i i'm very sensitive to that and and actually probably one of the reason why i've stayed at yoga why i like um lena so much lena is a fantastic yoga teacher bar none she's a sensational music director uh, in the sense that basically her playlist is always appropriate. It constantly changes, even though some songs may yeah. sort of have a certain sort of um, um, duration and sort of stay week over week. Does one to basically sort of go there and it gets used and then it falls away and it gets replaced by other thing. But the, the uh, as you were saying, I think she has a very good understanding of what 
music does. And I guess because I'm a musician, when I'm not sort of trying to figure out what the flow is doing, I most of my sort of attention is directed to the music. I listen to the music. Yeah. Uh, and probably because English is not my first language and also because I'm a musician, I get so distracted by sort of listening and I get sort of listening in this active sense of the word of everything that goes on in a song that by the time I get to go back to the singer because something their voice has attracted me again, I have completely forgotten that basically there were words and things like that. So I have a very hard time tying together. And people like they talk to me and say, oh, I love this song because it's so emotional. I'm like, yeah, um, I'm kind of, I was kind of the same. Um, like with Radiohead, a lot of their earlier stuff. I, 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 and Jeff Buckley, I had no idea what they were saying, but I was so caught up in the, in the melodies yeah. uh, that the words were so really secondary. But I always felt like I was sort of part of the minority. It felt like people were really obsessed over mm -hmm. lyrics, and I never really... That, that was always secondary to me. Why is music so important to you? Why, how is it emotionally helpful? Why have you always had this connection to it? And it's probably really challenging to mm -hmm. think. You know, For me, I just started playing piano when I was three. I just think I was naturally just always drawn... Mm -hmm by music's potential. I do, I'm not gonna say I sort of analyze music, but I listen carefully to music, which is why I tend to be attracted by, uh, well, I'm as happy sort of listening to pieces that don't have lyrics at all. I feel that basically when I'm listening, my ears are doing the same thing as when I'm looking at a piece of art, if you look at a painting, your eyes are going to dart around mm -hmm. and sort of get things, get in person, come back to certain aspects of things. And that's what I do constantly when I listen to music. If I actually listen to it, if it's not just like sort of there. Right. Uh, if I listen to it, then basically I can feel my attention point goes from like, oh, I'm sort of like listening to the bass line, trying to understand that thing. And then basically if I, okay, I got that pattern. If it's not changing, I'll move on to sort of something else. And I think one of the things that sort of why I like electronic music and, and why I listen to it and why I make it is because it has that potential of, very, of being very rich in textures and in tones and not just basically sort of uh, chords and notes and melodies. Right? There's, right. there's other aspects. About two years ago, I discovered this idea of creating music videos or at least sort of filming yourself playing music hmm. uh, and, and publishing that on YouTube. Uh, and there's a sort of interesting subgenre there. And to me, that was basically also a way to sort of renew with my sort of visual side uh, and sort of cinema effectively. So it's just being able to say, hey, I'm going to take a camera and I can basically sort of find interesting angles, uh, sort of do shallow depth of field and then basically sort of make sure that some of the blinking lights are out of focus and yeah. the blinking lights are in focus. And use that as a sort of tapestry, a visual tapestry that sort of accompanies the music. Um, the idea is basically, at least on my YouTube channel, is I do 100% of everything. Well, like, where can people check this out on um, YouTube? What's your YouTube channel? My YouTube channel is, uh, actually, my artist name is my name, Olivier Ozu. And it's O-Z-O-U-X. Um, uh, mainly because my name is weird enough that I uh, actually I, I bought yeah. the com domain name a long time ago. Cool. I don't have to sort of come up with a sort of weird artist name and misspell it so I can get yeah a handle on it. So that's what it is. Well, 
Olivier Ozu. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you coming on the show, talking about just you know your life and creative creative pursuits and social media, sort of all the stuff that I'm just really interested in right now. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah.